You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 191, Understanding Temperament. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. You're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected. This is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hi, Mama. Welcome to episode 191. I am so excited to talk about today's topic because it's my current obsession. I am constantly thinking about and talking about temperament with everyone and anyone who will listen. I literally can't get enough. When I learned about temperament years ago, I remember learning about it with regard to infants and babies who were classified as easy, slow to warm up, or difficult. And I've heard the term temperament tossed around a lot, but I didn't really know much about it. So I decided to do a little research. And I went deep into the rabbit hole of one particular framework that I want to share with you today. And there was a lot to cover. I feel like I could do a whole month's worth of episodes on this topic, but I'm going to give a pretty detailed overview and link to a few resources in the show notes so you can figure out what your child's temperament is and start utilizing this framework as a parenting tool to understand your kids better and know how to best support them growing up. Over the past week and a half, I've identified my temperament, my kids' temperaments, some of the temperaments of my clients and their kids, and it's making such a big difference in the way that I think about people and the way I approach them. I feel like so many things make sense to me now about all of my relationships. And you know from listening to this podcast that the way you think impacts the way you show up and behave. So thinking about your children and yourself within this framework can help you connect more with your kids, help meet their emotional needs, and communicate with them in a more effective way. The concept of temperament has been around for thousands of years, dating back to Hippocrates, who described four categories of human traits and behaviors he believed were influenced by the four basic body fluids called humors. Those were blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Later, The physician and Greek philosopher Galen applied these categories to his study of human temperament. The word temperament itself comes from the Latin word, which means to mix. So the idea was that having a good mixture of the humors defined good health, while an imbalance of each humor corresponded with a particular human temperament that he named after the humors, sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Now, more than 2,000 years later, there have been many different theories of temperament, and these theories have helped to form the foundation of different personality tests, such as the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Temperament is the way we naturally respond to people, our environment, and our circumstances. There are many characteristics that make up our temperament, including the intensity of our emotional responses, our level of sensitivity to different tastes, textures, noises, and emotions, our ability to adapt to new situations, our energy levels, moods, and awareness of things around us. Our temperament can be evident 
when we're as young as nine months old and doesn't change throughout our lifetime. It's like our eye color or fingerprint. They're based on our unique wiring and determine our interests, behaviors, and tendencies. Knowing your own and your kids' temperaments will help you make sense of why you behave the way you do. Personality, unlike temperament, is constantly evolving based on experiences such as how you're educated, your birth order, your religion and culture, and personality can change over time. Your personality is influenced by your temperament. For example, being a younger sibling affects my personality, but how I experience being a younger sibling comes from my temperament and how I'm wired. The temperaments fall into four quadrants. The bottom two are introverts and the top two are extroverts. Kathleen Edelman, who's an expert in the temperament framework, describes extroverts as people who talk before they think and introverts as people who think before they talk. And I love that explanation. It makes so much sense. So you first want to identify the top and bottom quadrants, and then you have the left side which is people-oriented, and the right side is task-oriented. So if you're people-oriented, you want to connect with others and prioritize relationships over everything else. If you're task-oriented, you want to get things accomplished. Kathleen Edelman color-coded the temperaments so they're easier to remember. Sanguine is yellow, choleric is red, melancholic is blue, phlegmatic is green. I'm going to give an overview of each of the four temperaments and identify their innate needs, how their strengths and weaknesses manifest, and how to support each by understanding their unique language or lens through which they see the world. The reason this is so important is that we have to consider our kids' wiring before setting our expectations of them. And because the way we approach them, the way we communicate with them will differ depending on this wiring. One thing I want to make sure to say before I go any further is that no temperament is better than another. I often talk about the idea that life is made up of 50% positive and 50% negative emotions. People are made up of 50% strengths and 50% weaknesses. I was talking to a client the other day and said, we're all half amazing and half a hot mess, right? So when we're aware of our strengths and weaknesses, We can choose to focus on and bring about our strengths while learning to accept and manage our weaknesses. Okay, so let's get into it, and I'm going to provide some stories and examples as we go. The sanguine or yellow temperament speaks the language of people and fun. They're in the top left quadrant. They are extroverts that are people-oriented. So they love to be social, they're loud, talkative, outgoing, optimistic, and fun to be around. They're great storytellers and like to exaggerate and be dramatic. They're full of energy and can be restless and distractible. They love compliments. They really want to be liked by others and don't want anyone to be upset with them. Because they aren't task-oriented, they avoid anything that isn't fun, like cleaning up after themselves or doing homework and they avoid people who are critical and anything that's sad or bad. Speaking of needs, every temperament has innate needs. I often talk about the three core emotional needs that all humans have, connection, control, and competence. Kathleen Edelman 
breaks these needs down even further and helps us understand what motivates each temperament. So for the sanguine, they're wired to need acceptance, approval, attention, and affection. Acceptance is being invited or included. Approval is being liked for who they are without having to change. Attention is having your full focus, especially eye contact, and being present. And affection is being noticed or acknowledged, and also some physical touch as well. Sanguines will signal to you when these needs aren't being met by turning on the charm and flattery, exaggerating or elaborating, being over the top, or praising you excessively. What you'll notice as we go through these is that when our needs aren't being met, we'll get them met through behavior that's considered to be our weaknesses. For example, if the sanguine's needs aren't being met, they'll get louder and more talkative, which can be seen as annoying and obnoxious to others. Because of their endless supply of energy, they can also wear people out. Marissa is a sanguine through and through. I remember a time when she was maybe seven years old, and I took her and Dahlia to a pretty expensive indoor activity gym where they spent hours jumping, climbing, and playing. Dahlia and I were tired and ready to go home, and as we were getting into the car, Marissa asked, where are we going next? I thought, you've got to be kidding me, but that's a sanguine for you. You can encourage sanguines by listening intently and making eye contact when they talk showing an interest in them and their friends, having fun with them, and recognizing and complimenting their strengths, as in, I love the way you light up a room when you smile, or thanks for cheering me up with your positive outlook. To them, needing attention isn't about being in the spotlight as much as it is about wanting your full attention and connection. To help them be at their very best, you can help them learn to finish tasks even when they're not fun, Let others feel sad without trying to cheer them up, clean up from one activity before going to the next, accept responsibility, and manage their restlessness. Another story about Marissa, she doesn't enjoy homework because it requires her to be still and focus, but because she speaks the language of people and fun, she'll focus much better when I'm in the room with her or when she can tie doing her homework to something fun, such as an incentive or making a game of it. Let's move on to the choleric or red temperament. They speak the language of power and control. The choleric is in the upper right-hand quadrant, and they're an extroverted, task-oriented person. They're driven, independent, decisive, like to take charge. They're great at delegating, competitive, strong-willed, and efficient. They avoid failure and embarrassment at all costs. They won't play a game if they might not win it. They become frustrated and angry when others don't pull their weight and blame others when they don't succeed. Because they're not people-oriented, they can have a hard time showing empathy and apologizing. They're wired to need loyalty, a sense of control, appreciation, and credit for work. So loyalty means being prioritized and knowing that you have their back. A sense of control is everyone pulling their own weight and having a plan. Appreciation means being valued for their unique strengths, and credit for work is being valued for their contributions. You'll know these needs aren't being met when they speak with a tone and make harsh, biting comments, or they get angry and yell. 
While I don't have a choleric child, I can think of a child that I worked with as a school counselor. Whenever he made a mistake or didn't win a game at recess, he would have a major tantrum. He would throw things, yell, threaten to hurt himself, and really try to assert his power. He would also get angry when the teacher helped another student before him. This speaks to his need for loyalty and wanting to be her top priority. To build up these kids, you want to make sure you let them make some decisions, encourage their leadership, and recognize them for what they do and who they are. This can sound like, I noticed that you put your clothes in the hamper. Thanks for being so responsible. You may unintentionally discourage them by leaving them out of decisions, pointing out their mistakes, and not following through on what you said you'd do. Now, they don't necessarily want to be in control. They just want to feel a sense of control that things are going according to plan and that people are doing what they're supposed to do or what they said they were going to do. To help them be at their best, you can help them learn to practice good sportsmanship, own their mistakes and apologize, think about how their actions impact others, and develop a growth mindset. That boy at school and I came up with a list of thoughts he could think when he felt his anger coming on. I can do difficult things. Mistakes help me to learn. I will do better the next time. Challenges help me grow. I have many strategies to help me when I get angry. I can choose to feel better at any time. This isn't worth getting angry about. I can deal with this. Getting angry isn't going to help. That's not what I wanted, but I'll survive. Okay, let's talk about the melancholic or blue temperament. They speak the language of perfection and order. This is in the lower right-hand quadrant, so this is an introvert who's task-oriented. They're hardworking, organized, and like routines. They're very creative, but also very logical in their thinking. They're compassionate, empathetic, sensitive, honest, and great listeners. People with this temperament tend to have a lot of anxiety and self-doubt. They like to play by the rules. They avoid making public mistakes. They avoid noise and crowds, are overly cautious and guarded, and take their time getting to know people. Their needs are safety, sensitivity, support, space, and silence. Safety is being able to trust their surroundings and relationships and have structure, order, and plans. They're a little reserved because they need to make sure you're a safe person. Sensitivity means being understood and validated. Support is being offered or provided help. Space and silence is having time to decompress, process, or think. When their needs aren't being met, they can get moody, which looks like being judgmental, hypercritical, and self-deprecating, and they become silent and disengaged, unwilling to talk or listen to others. It's a misconception that melancholics are sad all the time. They're just very introspective. My Dahlia has a melancholic temperament. She's very artistic and musical and loves to read and write. She can be very hard on herself, though because her work is never good enough for her. She'll be the first to tell me when I'm not obeying the traffic rules, like coming to a complete stop or going over the speed limit. Her bat mitzvah is coming up soon, and she's miserable knowing that she has to sing prayers in front of people, whereas sanguine Marissa loved being around so many people for hers. 
To build up these kids, we need to be sensitive to their emotions and respect their need for space, privacy, and time to process. Marissa and Dahlia's temperaments are direct opposites of each other. And so when they're together, they're speaking completely different languages. Let's say Dahlia becomes moody and takes space up in her room. Marissa hates when people are upset with her and speaks the language of people and fun. So she'll try to get Dahlia to talk to her, which drives Dahlia further away. It's a very familiar pattern around here. To help melancholics be at their best, you can help them learn to assert themselves more and say what they want rather than waiting for others to notice that they're unhappy. You can help them relax their perfectionistic standards and be okay with good enough, get out of their comfort zones occasionally, and come up with a backup plan for when things don't go according to their expectations. Another quick story that illustrates how these different temperaments look. When my kids were in first and fourth grade, we got home from school and I offered them a choice between doing their homework and then having a break or having a break and then doing their homework. Marissa chose to have a break and ran off to play. Dahlia turned to me and said, Mommy, first things first, and went inside to do her work. To this day, Dahlia will get her homework done right away, and Marissa will avoid it or get distracted. Finally, we have the phlegmatic or green temperament who speaks the language of calm and harmony. Full disclosure, I'm a phlegmatic, so I can speak to this one pretty well. The phlegmatic green is in the lower left-hand quadrant. They're introverts that are people-oriented. So they think before they talk, but prioritize people over everything else. They're great listeners, easygoing, patient, and friendly. They avoid tension and drama, making decisions that affect other people, and responsibility for extra work. They can be messy and can appear lazy, but they just like to do things on their own timetable. Their needs are harmony, feeling of worth, lack of stress, and respect. Harmony is everyone getting along and everything going smoothly. Feeling of worth is being valued for their unique strengths. A lack of stress means the absence of conflictive or combative words. And respect is being asked for their thoughts and opinions. When these needs aren't being met, phlegmatics will procrastinate by delaying or ignoring responsibilities, and they can become quite stubborn, refusing to converse or compromise. Phlegmatics would rather sit on the sidelines and watch than take part in activities that don't interest them. Because they're so easygoing, they don't often have strong preferences and can often fall through the cracks. When they do speak up, it's because they have something important to say. So to build them up, it's important to really listen at those times. You may unintentionally discourage them by forcing them to make a quick decision, getting loud and angry, or taking advantage of their kindness. To help them be at their best, you can help them learn to speak up for themselves, express a preference when offered a choice, commit to deadlines and meet them, and share their ideas and opinions more. So those are the four temperaments, and we all have a dominant and a secondary temperament. Some people have a dominant temperament that is particularly strong, and they really only identify with one. Other people's dominant and secondary temperaments are more evenly split. So it's normal to relate to the strengths, weaknesses, and or needs of more than one color. 
That's why two people with the same dominant temperament can be so different. Like I said in the beginning, this information is a tool to help you understand yourself and your child more. Each child is born with unique gifts, and our job as parents is to help bring out those gifts and honor them by learning to speak their language and see things through their lens. Just like with any foreign language, the way to get better at it is to practice. In her book, A Grown-Up's Guide to Kids' Wiring, Kathleen Edelman has tips for exactly what to say and what not to say to your kids to motivate, encourage, and bring out the best in them according to their temperament. I'll link to her book in the show notes. Now, I know I gave you a lot of information in this episode, and there's so much more. So check out the resources at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 191, and then mark your calendars for Thursday, April 28th at noon Eastern time. I'm going to do a workshop on temperament to help you become even more fluent in these languages. I'm going to answer your questions and do some coaching. So make sure you're on my email list for information on that as it gets closer. If you found this episode helpful, please be sure to share it with a friend and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.